Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Alright, this is definitely a Bigfoot. This is a Bigfoot story. When I was 13 years old, my family and I went camping up in Washington near Mount St. Helens. My family liked to glamp, but it was never my thing. What is glamp? G-L-A-M-P? I don't know what that is, but maybe it's a misspelled word. I don't know. They found the perfect campground and I was happy that an abandoned logging road was right behind the spot where my dad was setting up the RV. Always loved being out in the woods, not in a campground though. I told Dad that I was taking off to find my camping spot. He told me not to go far, but both my parents knew better. This was my usual thing to do when we were camping. I had gone a mile and I could not hear any of the noise from the campground. Therefore, I thought I was at a good place to start looking for a good spot. I found a good place to pitch my tent and start a fire. And as I went about getting my camp together, I had the feeling that something or someone was watching me. I had finally settled on a large stump. I sat down and I started my fire and I put a pan on to start cooking. Then I started putting my tent up and to my surprise, the stump stood up. It was a female Bigfoot. She was seven and a half feet tall and covered in black hair. She appeared to have no neck and a cone-shaped head. Okay, wait a minute. You sat on a Bigfoot? You sat on a Bigfoot and it stood up. Anyway, anyway, I don't, man, that's crazy. And then she just goes into describing what these, this thing looks like. This story is perplexing me. There was no hair on her face and the skin that had no hair was ashy black. The backs of her hands were covered in hair and she had a mouth that was partially open. I could see that she had block style teeth. Well, here I was, crouched down with nothing but a tent stake in my hand, and I thought I was going to die. I had been in the woods many times, even at this early age, and I had been around bears and cougars and coyotes, and I knew to stay frozen, and I tried to not move so I didn't appear to be a threat. She never looked at me, but she was more looking past where I was and making clicking and whistling sounds. How far away were you from her? That's what I want to know. You sat on her. She got up. So how far did you back up? Oh, man, I need details. After what felt like an eternity, she just turned and walked off in the woods. And in four steps, she was gone. I stayed where I was to make sure that she was gone, and I fell on my butt, and I waited half an hour. And then I got up, and I walked to the logging road, and I started back to my family's camp. When I arrived back, I told my dad what had happened. Dad said it must have been a bear, and I vehemently disagreed. I wanted him to come back to my camp to see if we could find any footprints, and he said he would go looking in the morning. Then he asked if I was going to stay with them or go back to my camp. Well, he knew something traumatic had happened because I was white as a sheet and shaking a little bit. My mother wanted me to stay, but I was feeling better, and being a 13-year-old teen... Yes, probably young and stupid, I wanted to know what I saw. And if Dad didn't want to go check it out with me, I would go by myself. On my way back down the logging road, I didn't get the feeling of something watching me. And I considered that the woods were not talking. 
I had learned to be careful if it was quiet in the woods, and no talking means there's some type of danger somewhere. After I arrived at my camp, I found my food had been moved out. I know animals can make a mess, but this was more like someone had picked up stuff and moved it to different spots. It was getting dark, so I stoked the fire and I cooked my dinner and then I went to bed. There were still no sounds from the woods. As I was falling asleep, I saw a huge hand placed on top of my tent. This hand was feeling the tent as if it was curious, and then I heard it walk off. I never heard it walk up to my tent, which was a bit strange. The next morning, I walked to my family's camp, and Dad and I walked back to my camp. He was kidding me about Bigfoot, and I was putting up with it in the hopes that we found enough evidence that I could say, See, I told you so. We got near the camp, and I asked my dad if he noticed that the woods had stopped talking. He got quiet, and he looked at me and said that it had not occurred to him. I said that it had been silent like this since I saw that Bigfoot yesterday. We walked on quietly to my camp, and my dad asked me where I had seen the bear. I was not going to argue about it, not being a bear, and I took him over to the spot where I had seen this thing. And then we heard what sounded like a bulldozer going through the woods. We looked at each other. It was going away from us. And as we continued forward, Dad stopped me abruptly. I had almost stepped on a large track. It was 15 inches long and was set deep in the dirt. My dad weighed 230 pounds at the time and his foot didn't sink into the dirt near as deep as that track had. He went back to the campground in silence and drove into town. The only thing that my dad said was, don't tell your mother. We bought the plaster and returned to the campground. My mom wanted to know what we were doing and all my dad said was that we had to break my camp down and we'd be back. We went back and cast the track and we took pictures. Of all three of the prints that we found, two were not good. Luckily, one was worthy of taking a cast. It was 15 inches long, but I don't remember how wide it was. Sadly, I no longer have the cast. My parents did not allow me to camp that far away from them until I was able to drive and camp on my own. I have since had two other encounters. One encounter occurred when I was on the upper Malola, M-O-L-A-L-L-A, Malaya, Maloya, Maloa River, It consisted of hearing a Bigfoot scream and making some wood knocks, and then it screamed again, and this went on for an hour. The other encounter was that feeling of someone or something watching me again and seeing red eyes in the wood line standing about eight feet up. They blinked, and then they disappeared. This was up around Baggy Hot Springs. Still to this day, I look for Bigfoot. I have no fear of them, but I feel bad for the ones that have been scared out of being in nature. I think she's talking about she feels bad for people who are scared and not don't want to go back in the woods. But that was a good story, and I don't know. I kind of commented on it as we went, but... Uh, and maybe she was just being brief, maybe, the, you know, with her story. That's kind of what I'm thinking. That there was I wanted more detail on sitting on this thing, but I've already said all that. All right, thank you very much to the writer. I really appreciate it. My name's Cameron Buckner, and this is the Dixie Cryptid What If It's True podcast. You can find it on YouTube and any podcast app by searching for What If It's True podcast. Thanks for joining me. I've got several, one, two, three, four. I got six stories in this podcast. It's going to be a little longer than some of them. I hope you enjoy it. All right, you guys uh, sit back. Fix a bowl of popcorn, strap your weave on, glue your dentures in. If you don't like it when it's all over, I'll give you your money back. Enjoy yourself. All right, here we go. Here's an email from Australia. I really thought this was great. I hope you guys enjoy it. This event happened in September of 1989 in southeast Queensland, Australia. Five friends and I had decided to go hunting and camping as a getaway from TAFE University. We packed our gear late Friday afternoon and headed off on our four-hour drive to a property near Tin Can Bay. 
After arriving at 10 p.m., having got my owner's consent, we went straight out to where we were going to camp and shoot for the weekend. Since we were going to be hunting mostly rabbits, we only brought 22 rifles with us. Then we thought we would do some spotlighting before we set up camp. Would you believe that we bagged a dozen bunnies before we got tired at 3 a.m.? Then we went back to set up camp under a big tree that had branches hanging down to the ground. It was like a huge tent under the tree. We did a quick cleanup and rolled out our swags and went to sleep. I woke at 8 a.m. and set up the rest of our camp and ate brunch, and later that day we decided to go look around to see if we could scare up a few more rabbits to add to the ones in our esky cooler. After we had gotten six, we headed back to camp just before dark, collecting firewood along the way, and we started a fire and got our chairs and had a few drinks and sat back to relax while we cooked a few of our hard-earned bunnies for dinner. We cleared things up after dinner and had a few more drinks, and since we decided to have an early start the next morning, we all went to sleep early that night. We had planned to get some more rabbits before heading back to Bundy and Tafe on Sunday. At 2 a.m., we were all woken by a strange noise, and it sounded like something digging in the hard-packed soil around the camp. Our first thought was that perhaps a couple of sheep had wandered into the camp or maybe a dingo was looking for scraps. We shrugged it off and went back to sleep. When we woke up in the morning, it was still dark, so the first order of the day was to get the fire going again and boil some water for coffee. And while we waited for the water to boil, we cooked some bacon and eggs. A few of us walked out from under the tree and couldn't believe what we saw. We shouted to the rest of the guys, Get over here! And in a heartbeat, everyone had gathered around with a look of horror on their faces. Our camp was littered with sheep carcasses torn to shreds. There were four sheep torn limb from limb. They were scattered throughout the campsite, and the dirt had been dug up. There was blood everywhere that we looked. In less than 10 minutes, we had repacked the 4x4 with all our gear. We had the same agenda, which was to get out of there as soon as possible. As you can imagine, we were scrambling, and I never knew these guys could move so quickly, but adrenaline had evidently kicked in. We decided to stop at the owner's residence on our way out to tell her what happened. She looked at us in disbelief as we explained what had taken place. She never uttered a word until we had finished, and when she finally spoke, she said that was the end of it. She was selling the property. She continued to tell us that something had been killing her sheep for the last three months and hanging them in trees. We asked her what she thought had been doing that. She answered, it's a yowie. All of us accepted what she had told us since we had just witnessed such a horrific scene. However, we had to ask her why she hadn't warned us. Her only explanation was that she had hoped that we would kill it so she wouldn't appear to be crazy. Well, I suppose that made sense in her mind, but it hadn't given us much consolation. We headed home and we all knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we would never return. Whatever this thing was, it was within ten feet of us and had laid bits and pieces of dead sheep around the tree. So now, when I go hunting and camping, I take a bit more firepower with me. Also, I take my dog's razor and blade. Razor is a bull Arab Mastiff cross, and he weighs 100 pounds. And Blade is a bull Arab Red Nose cross, and he weighs 90 pounds. These dogs are also known as Australian pig dogs. I never go into the bush without them, and I always take my big bore rifles and shoddy as well. I think shoddy is a shotgun. I hope you find my experience worthy of your show. Sign Rod. <laughs> Absolutely worthy of the show. I've had this for a long time. Holy crap. Camping and wake up and there's sheep parts all around your campsite. I cannot imagine. These Yowie stories from Australia are so good. And for some reason, Australians are good storytellers. It must be commonplace in that area, on that continent for people to tell stories. 
especially the the guys that go out in the wilderness or the outback who are experienced outdoorsmen they always have stories to tell but i thought this was fantastic and uh, i appreciate I appreciate rod sending this thank you sir thanks mate here is an email from lee it was sent to me to uh, do as one of these little one minute shorts but it's actually too long and the story's so good i'm just gonna do the whole semi short not really short kind of short Anyway, here's what Lee writes. This is a fascinating story I heard 25 years ago from a 12-year-old boy who at the time lived in the house where this paranormal activity occurred and still continues today. The house is located in South Carolina. At the time the boy told me this story, the family had recently moved into a new restored old house on his stepmother's family property out in the country. In the den of this old house is a large rock fireplace. The story goes that not long after moving into the house, his stepmother was home alone while his dad, a police officer, worked the night shift. My friend and his siblings were away for the night staying with family. The stepmother was in bed when she heard voices. She thought they were coming from outside, but after seeing the sleeping Rottweiler guard dogs out in the yard, she became concerned. They weren't alarmed at anything. There must be intruders in the house, she thought, so she called her husband in a panic. He asked her from where in the house the voices were coming. From the den near the fireplace, she said. They sound like a woman crying and a man talking. Her husband then casually said for her to ignore them and they would not hurt her. Well, she screamed back, asking him what the heck he was talking about. He then explained that he had heard those voices and they were harmless and to leave them be. She hung up the phone and ran to her father's house just beyond the old pasture. It took some time, but the family eventually became accustomed to the sounds and began to be more curious than afraid. Why was the woman crying and what was the man saying? The mother did some research on the history of the house and what she found was indeed a tragedy. Since that part of the house was originally built by the stepmother's ancestors, she was able to discover a sad story surrounding the old rock fireplace. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Several years earlier, a young couple with a baby lived in the house. On a cold night, the mother placed the infant near the fireplace to get warm. An ember popped onto its blanket and caught the baby on fire and it died that night. The voices are that of the grieving mother and her husband giving words of comfort. For whatever reason, after many years, this tragic event has attached itself to that fireplace and it won't let go, resulting in this paranormal activity. The family still occupies the house, at least the dad and the stepmom do. The voices are still heard on occasion, but they deal with the activity with a different perspective. Oh, that was a horribly sad story, but very interesting all the same. I mean, these things do happen, and it's it's a bad deal. I think if, you know, some old, some old, old person had died in the house... It wouldn't sting so bad as a baby dying in front of the fireplace. And you can just imagine what that was like. But this is a great story. I couldn't do it in a short. It's too long. 
Uh, he said to shorten it up to 60 seconds, but there was no way. But it was good all the same. I appreciate the story. I think this is a Bigfoot story. It's really good. It's a little longer than some of the stories I do, but let's jump into it. My encounter happened in 1985. I was eight years old and my older brother was 11. The neighbor boy who was with us was also 11. We were and still are country folks. We all had shotguns and since I was younger I only carried a 22 caliber rifle. My brother and the neighbor's boy had killed multiple deer in small game. And on this day we were only being kids and we had one BB gun between the three of us. I was just tagging along, being the youngest. We planned to shoot a squirrel or a bird or whatever we could find. The three of us headed out and we started up the field across the creek. On the left was a steep hill with trees and some undergrowth, and on the right side of the road was a large garden spot, and next to the road was an old hog barn. The hog barn had been built at an angle from the road with the opening facing away from the road. It had been built many years before I was born. As the three of us walked together up the road, we were just talking and not even hunting. And as we approached the back of the barn, a black panther landed in the middle of the field road about 10 feet in front of us, and it continued walking toward the left side of the road. I'm sorry, guys. I said this was a Bigfoot story at the beginning, but I don't think it is. Saying we were shocked would be an understatement. All three of us, without saying a word, took off running, and we didn't stop until we were on the house side of the creek on the field road. The cat was three feet tall and seven feet long, including the tail, and it had green eyes, and it never made a sound. It was in no hurry to get away from us, and it showed absolutely no fear. We, on the other hand, couldn't have run any faster. Shooting the BB gun never entered our minds, there was no doubt about what we saw because all three of us saw it. In our minds, the worst thing in the woods was a coyote or a pack of coyotes. We sure were wrong about that. It makes me think differently now when going into the woods. Sometime later, I found some scratch marks on a beech tree that I suspect was made by this cat. The scratches were eight feet off the ground and looked like what a cat scratch would look like. These marks were high enough off the ground that they couldn't have been done by a child easily. I took my dad to the tree and showed him the scratches. This has been the only wild panther I've ever seen. Later that year, we went to the Memphis Zoo. Dad had taken my brother and me to the black panther cage and asked us if that is what we saw. Yes, we said, that's exactly what we saw. The one in the zoo was fatter. The one we saw was more fit, and both had the same green eyes. In 2019, my brother had a friend who was a farmer. A Tennessee Highway Patrolman contacted the farmer. The patrolman had told him that he was using a spotlight one night near his shop at the grain bins. The patrolman spotted a black panther 50 yards in the field by his shop. The officer went out of his way to let the farmer know what he had seen and he informed him of the possible danger and to be careful. The shop is a mile as the crow flies from our encounter in 1985. I don't know if it's the same cat, but it does suggest that a breeding population is in the area. All this occurred in Carroll County, West Tennessee. I now live on the same road, but three miles further out of town, and in the summer of 2019, my wife heard a single howl, and then the coyotes started howling also. She told me about this, and I laughed at her. The next evening, the coyotes started howling, so I stopped and I listened to them because of what my wife had told me. Coyotes howling where I live is an everyday occurrence. However, the way that she had described the howling seemed unusual, so I paid real close attention. The howling started, and I heard another howl that was the same distance as the coyote seemed to be, but it was much louder, and it sounded different. It reminded me of a wolf. Now, wolves are not supposed to inhabit our area. When I heard the louder howl, the coyote stopped howling. There was not another sound. Well, I spoke to my dad, who lives about a quarter mile from me on the other end of the pasture. 
He had a very odd look on his face, and then he told me that he had been outside the same night as my wife, and he heard the same howling that she had heard. In the summer, my wife and I enjoy going for walks down the road after supper. We heard this odd noise when we were walking one night. In the winter of 2019, I was checking on my cows, and because they were due to calve soon, and I had a couple of heifers I was worried about since they had never given birth before. That night, there were no calves born, but while walking back to the house, I heard this thing start to howl again. It was a long way off, but the sound seemed to carry well on those cold, clear winter nights. I went back to the shop, and I heard it howl twice more. There's no way this is a coyote. In July of 2020, I heard the howl again three times. I told my father, and he said to let him know if I heard it again. Well, the very next evening, it was still daylight, and I heard this thing howl. It sounded as if it was in the same place where it was on that winter night in 2019, so I called my dad, and he was there in two minutes. We were just talking and piddling with the old tractor that I had bought, and the howling started again. Well, I looked at Dad, and I knew he had heard it also. When I asked him if he had heard it, and as he was answering, another one much closer and much louder howled. Just hearing these things will give you chills. I have not heard it since, but I'm guessing that these things are moving through the area. I'm unsure of what it is. My guess is that it is either wolves or a dogman. Having listened to supposed dogman recordings, it sounds identical. This makes me very uneasy, especially with my children playing outside. I'm just not sure about all of this. I would love to hear any insights or similar accounts. This is the reason that I found this channel on YouTube. Many times over the years I have told this first account usually with one or two reactions. They either agree with me and they say they believe me or they laugh at me and say it was a black house cat. To those that laugh at me, I'm not telling you this to impress you. I'm telling this to make you aware that there are animals out there that for the most part we are not aware of, whether it be a black panther, a bigfoot, a dogman, or whatever. If you refuse to believe all these different accounts, then you are saying that all these thousands of encounters are people either lying or mistaken in what they saw. And that's the end of it. And this is a kind of a story, but it's kind of a series of anecdotal type evidence the story about the black panther is that's a visual sighting that's pretty cool i've heard tons of people especially you know what it happens in so it's like it's one of the most common thing people talk about when they talk about strange events in west tennessee and north mississippi while they're out hunting it's like everybody has seen a black panther and i don't know what it is i don't I've never seen anything like that. I, I, I sat in a duck blind one day with a guy who swears, swears he saw a black panther uh, crawl out of a ditch and over a levee and run all the way across the field. My boys were with me, and this guy's son was with him, and he kept going, Hell, you didn't see no black panther. That was my black lab. No, it wasn't. That was a panther. I know what it was. He said, That was my dog. I sent him to go get a duck. You thought it was a panther. So I don't we just got a kick out of listening to the guy talk and, and listening to them argue. And the, my boys and I were looking at each other grinning. And we, t we talk about that story all the time. But everybody I know that hunts, uh, well, not everybody, but let's say half of them have seen a black panther. I have no idea what it is, but maybe black panthers are around here. I don't know. Anyway, I enjoyed this uh, series of events this man describes in his letter. It was really good. Thank you. All right, here, <coughs> excuse me, here is a, uh, this is a good story and it's really long. The author says, call me the operator. So I'm going to read this to you and it's pretty good. I was a soldier and proud of it. I didn't set out to be a lifelong careerist, but here I was in the last year of my army service. At the time I was working at a small base in Germany. This was March 13 of 2001. My wife called me and said that she had gotten word from my sister that my father had passed away sometime that morning. My cell phone rang at 1.30 a.m. and as I picked up, the screen said, Unknown Caller. 
This was unusual because I knew that the law says that it's illegal and it takes significant machinery to conceal a phone number. And as I answered the phone, I heard nothing but static. Well, I said hello several times and eventually after listening to the static hiss for a few seconds, I hung up. I went by myself to the United States and I went to the funeral. My mother told me that my dad had probably slipped into a diabetic coma and died around 7.30 in the morning. She said that he had passed away while she was out for her morning walk. And as I sat in the empty house, I thought about the last time I saw him. He was ill and seemed to follow me from room to room while I visited them. He had something he wanted to say, but he just didn't do it. And of course, I wasn't willing to make it easier for him. My father hadn't been a very nice man to me as long as I'd been able to remember. He always found fault with what I did. My mother says that we were so much alike that he just couldn't relate to me. I resemble him a lot and I see his face when I look into the mirror. I was given a few of the things to keep but really didn't want them but my mother wanted me to take it. Most of the jewelry of his that my mother gave to me I sold later for the gold content. After I went home I kept having these dreams about him. I would wake up and see him standing in my house looking at me he was studying me. I wouldn't fall back to sleep because I was constantly looking for him in my bedroom. Meanwhile, almost nightly, I would get those unknown caller calls. Well, this affected my work performance and I was feeling strung out and tired. It didn't take me long to figure out that at 7.30 a.m. in the United States, it was 1.30 a.m. in Germany. It wasn't until the movie White Noise that I thought that it was my father calling me or maybe his spirit. I just figured I was being pranked by someone. My marriage suffered and I eventually wound up in the chaplain's office to ask for him. I explained my situation and I was told that these things do happen. Your father is trying to communicate with you. Maybe trying to make amends and let you know that he's watching over you, the chaplain told me. In addition, he told me that I should write him a letter and tell him how I felt and he'd go away for good. So reluctantly, I did and his ghost never appeared to me again and I've never dreamt of him. My wife wasn't American and I agreed to retire in Europe and after a few months picked up a government job starting a new career. Within a few years of this, my marriage had deteriorated and I ended up moving out. I took a job in the Black Forest in a town called Grafenvier, living in a one-bedroom apartment under a 250-year-old building. Well, I felt uneasy there, and I settled in anyway because I had no other options. I felt as if I was being watched, and as I slept sometimes, someone would say my name in my ear and bump the bed, waking me up. I had a friend who had come to visit once, and he spent the weekend on the couch while I worked. The first morning, he stayed asleep on the couch while I made myself coffee and headed off to work. A few hours later, he said that he was asleep in the living room and he could hear what he thought was another person moving around in the bedroom. Eventually, curiosity got the best of him and he checked the noise. He didn't find anything, just an eerie feeling. He quickly got dressed and left coming to my building to ask me about the noise. We talked for a minute, and he said he decided to sightsee for the day until he knew that I was going to be home. I didn't know what to tell him other than I had felt that feeling too. Conveniently, I found another job and I moved out, moving closer to my kids in the nearby town of Frankfurt. My wife and I decided to divorce, so we started that process. And again, I was looking for cheap apartments, and with the help of our base housing authority... I found a cheap one near a wooded area in a town called Waldorf. This was 10 minutes from my ex and my kids on the top floor of a five-story building. We agreed on the price and I moved my property in over the next few weeks. After my first week or so, I went for a run through the woods and I was enjoying the area. Later that month, my ex called and said that they were going on a trip to see Grandma and I needed to come get the dog for 10 days. I picked him up and I took him to my place. After our first walk through the woods, I used my key to get into my foyer holding the dog's leash and I turned toward the door to check my resident mailbox. 
As I fished through the junk mail, I noticed the dog go to the leash end and the top of the stairs, and he was looking down into the basement. He cocked his head to the side, and his tail rapidly began to wag as if he was looking at an old friend. Well, I thought there was a person down there. I asked him, do you have a friend there? Well, he looked back at me and then back down the stairs and continued to wag his tail. Well, I started to the stairs and I looked down into the darkness. There was nobody there. I immediately got goosebumps and I knew that my dog was looking or communicating with a ghost. And I looked down the stairs again and let whatever was down there know that we were leaving and that you aren't welcome in my apartment. Do not follow us. Stay out, I said. That night was uneventful. Starting the next day, my dog would constantly be looking at different parts of the room and occasionally he would bark. This went on for days until one night I was awakened by the dog growling. He was a typical, loyal, intelligent mutt that would often bark and run in his sleep, so I assumed that was what was going on. I reached down to touch him to waking up. That's when I realized he was straddling me and as he was looking out into the living room. That was also around 1 a.m. or close to it. His growls continued and I was amazed at how long and deeply he growled. His growl was like saying, you better not come in here. I hopped out of bed and quickly turned on the lights and naturally there was no one there. I encouraged the dog to come and look but he wouldn't leave the bedroom. At that time, I stood in the middle of the house and said the Lord's Prayer, and I asked for any spirit to be removed from the house. I immediately felt a sense of peace, and I went back to bed, and things settled down for a few days. After work the next day, I took the dog back as the ex had returned, and when I went home, I read aloud a statement that I had prepared that day while at work. Now look, I know that you're here. You know that I'm here. And we can live together in peace as long as you follow these rules. I don't ever want to see you. I don't want to ever hear you. Do not touch me or scare me ever. And as long as you follow these rules, you can stay here and watch me because I know that you may be curious. If you don't follow these rules, I'm going to make you go and I mean that. I would read this out loud every two months or so. I was curious as to why there was so much activity here. And I accidentally discovered why. The original Frankfurt airport was built during World War II by the Jewish people in captivity. As one would imagine, probably hundreds of people died in this camp in what is now public ground. I discovered numerous building foundations and occasionally a marker detailing what was once there. And the camp nearest my apartment was where the women were interned. Although we coexisted, I did have a few times that I, still to this day, get tears in my eyes as I remember. Late one night or morning, I was deep asleep. I heard the dog walking through the apartment with his nails clicking on the tile. He came into the bedroom and walked to the end of the bed. He obviously jumped and I felt him on the end of the bed and it took a few steps and circled a few times where he laid balled up between my sprawled open legs at the knees. I could feel the dog's weight there and I reached down to find him between my legs and I slowly reached down and I felt nothing. I then rolled over and came into contact with nothing again. The dog wasn't there. Another time I felt a person sit next to me on the bed as I slept. I felt the bed indentation as it seemed to be vibrating. Whatever or whoever it was laid back across my legs and I felt the weight. I kicked my legs and there was nothing there. All these things came and went and I began to understand that nothing there meant me harm because there were many times I could have been scared by these ghosts. With that being said, this is the most fascinating and scariest thing that's ever happened to me. One night I was asleep and I heard a noise that I can't really explain and it woke me up. As I was fully awake and I didn't open my eyes out of habit, I felt someone was standing next to my bed, and at that time I felt fingertips move through my hair and then an entire hand on the left side of my face. I immediately felt like it was the hand of a woman. 
None of this can be proven, and it may sound crazy, but I swear to you that as a grown man, I know what a woman's touch feels like. I sat up in bed, I turned on all the lights, and I read the statement out loud, and then I ordered whatever was in the house to leave and never return. After that, I began to sleep with blinders over my eyes because I didn't want to wake up and see whatever it was that may or may not be in that place with me. Now, I know what you're thinking. Maybe I'm a sissy, but I didn't want to give whatever was there the knowledge that I could be scared easily. Remember, I was going through a divorce and I was paying child support and my own rent. I couldn't afford to move to another place. Well, I lived there two years and eventually I found a job in the United States. Now, as it was time for me to start packing up, I went from door to door with my other residents, the German neighbors, trying to give them the appliances that I couldn't take with me. One fella invited me in and offered me a beer. Eventually, I asked him about the ghosts. To explain, in the German language, the word Geist is for ghost. The phrase Poltergeist is German for noisy ghost. And it's kind of frustrating to see all these movies where a poltergeist is a bad entity. They can make noise, but maybe they don't mean you any harm. I began to tell him what I was experiencing, and he would nod, and I can honestly say he started taking some quick hits off of his beer. And he finished the second beer by the time I was finished with my first. He said that, I've been living here for almost 10 years, and after my first month, I started sleeping with the lights on, and I still do. So I asked why, and he got up and said that it was late, and he had to work tomorrow, and he asked me to leave. And after that, I never saw him again. When the mover packed me out, a friend let me borrow and sleep on a blow-up mattress in my kitchen for two days. I had no issues then, but when they cleaned out the storage area under the house, the packer came running up the stairs. Every apartment had a storage area that was just a mere concrete room with a chain-link door where you placed your lock. He asked me point-blank if the building had a ghost, and I said, yeah, I think it does. He took me down the stairs and showed me where every storage area appeared to be trashed, and it happened all at one time while he was placing my objects into a box. I guess they weren't happy I was leaving. Well, this is all I have for now. I eventually remarried, and my wife has an old set of bedroom furniture that has a spirit attached to it, but that's for another story. Peace to you all, and remember, a spirit cannot hurt you, but your fear can make you do some crazy things. He that is in me, meaning Christ, is greater than he that is in the world, meaning the devil. And that's the end of his story, and that was a that was a good little ending, but... Man, this guy's plagued with paranormal activity. It was uh, so much activity in this story, it's unbelievable. And people who are interested in these ghost, paranormal, what do you, poltergeist kind of, poltergeist, noisy ghost. Polter must mean noisy. Uh, so if you're interested in these poltergeist type hauntings and things, this is a real interesting story. I'd be curious to know if those ghosts followed him home or if they stayed in Germany, but at any rate, I loved it. I appreciate the operator for sending it to me. It was a good story. Thank you. The writer of this story, his name is Sal Paso. So I'm not sure if I'm uh, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but he claims the story is true, and he is writing about UFO experiences. My father was a great man. He spent time in the Air Force during the Korean War stories from which he was fond of sharing with me. He instilled in me a healthy respect for the military. His interest, however, did not stop there. He was also fascinated with space. Of course, at that time, the space race was in full swing. I was born in 1958, so during this time, I was just getting old enough to appreciate the rocket launches, the spacewalks, and the United States astronauts walking on the moon in 1969. My father and I would also discuss UFOs, and when the moon landing took place, I noticed that the astronauts stayed in the lander for a while, so I asked my dad why they didn't walk on the moon right away. He said they were waiting to see if any aliens would walk up to them. 
Well, I was always sure my dad knew more about UFOs and aliens than he was letting on. He would go into our little backyard and look at the stars, but living in the city, we couldn't see many. My adventure started early in the summer of 1969. We went on vacation to, can't pronounce this word, Pitcairn, Pennsylvania, P-I-T-C-A-I-R-N, Pitcairn, 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 I don't know, Pennsylvania, after school was out that year to visit my mother's aunts, uncles, and cousins. It was great out there. Oh, how I remember the smells of being in the country. The most exciting thing, though, was the night sky. Because we were pretty far out there, we saw more stars than in the city. Because it was summer and we were on vacation, I was allowed to stay up extra late at night and enjoy it. Late one evening, the whole family had congregated around my uncle's house. Being Italian, food always played a big role in our gatherings, and everyone was sitting around in the basement. And it seems like all Italian families have full basements in their houses with working kitchens to cook for their guests, and my uncle's house was no different. The conversation was beginning to bore me, so I decided to leave the family to their visit, and I got out to the yard where I could look at the sky. I was enjoying the stars and daydreaming about how far away they were and what it would be like to fly in space, and that's when I saw it. It was a large, cigar-shaped object that came from my right and moved slowly to my left. It had colored glow underneath it, but I'm colorblind, so I'm only guessing when I say it was probably yellow or orange. I could see it clearly. It had windows through which I could just make out people or beings of some kind. I had the impression that they were watching me just as I was watching them. There was no sound coming from this object as it moved past me. I stood there fixed and amazed by what I was seeing. I wasn't frozen in place or even afraid, but I was utterly fascinated by this unidentified craft. I want you to understand that my dad and I spent a lot of time at Kennedy Airport watching the planes taking off and landing. We lived in Jamaica, Queens at the time, so it was just a short drive away from our house. Even at the age of 10, I could easily recognize aircraft. My dad taught me, but this thing didn't have wings. Neither did it have any means of propulsion nor blinking navigation lights. Nothing. It just moved silently across my field of view. There was another light above the UFO that I also remember watching, and it could have been a plane, but I'm not sure. Suddenly, the object in front of me sped up and it flew off. And I watched it as long as I could, but it disappeared over the trees and I couldn't see it anymore. After a minute or two, I knew I had to tell my father. And I ran inside and down in the basement right up to him. Dad, I just saw a UFO. He looked at me for what felt like an eternity. And then he asked me what it looked like. After I described it to him, he smiled and he said, You just saw a blimp. That wasn't a UFO. Well, I was dumbfounded. After all we talked about and all my experiences with him, he nixed me and went back to his conversation with the family. Needless to say, I was disappointed, and we returned home to the city a few days later. There was another event that took place earlier that year, and I was not feeling well and was home with my mother. I was taking a nap and suddenly awoke to a beam of light shining on me, and it seemed to encapsulate me, bathing me in the light. I could see my mother down the hall, so I tried to call for her to help me, but I couldn't make a sound. I don't know how long this lasted, or if it had anything to do with the second event, but after all these years, neither episode has ever left my mind. A few years later, we moved to Connecticut, where there was less light pollution. I could see more stars there, but I never saw another UFO. I was growing older by then, and I had many more heart-to-heart -heart talks with my dad. The buzz about UFOs was getting hot on television at that time, so I asked him a lot of questions about Area 51, 
Project Blue Book and the like. I was especially interested in the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. He said that it was true that the government has UFOs stored there. He had never seen them, but he had heard the scuttlebutt when he was on active duty. The saucer picked up at Roswell was there. He wouldn't say more to me on the subject. Many times, as my interest in UFOs grew, I asked him questions. One time he told me he could not speak about it anymore because he was sworn to secrecy. Well, I guess he was. My dad had crypto clearance from the Air Force, and he told me it was due to his assignment in Okinawa where he handled highly classified transmissions. After he passed away in 1999, I discovered that he'd saved all of his paperwork from the military. I found the form that he had to fill out for the clearance. It listed all the people that the military had interviewed about him as they performed the background check. I also found his military record. Interestingly, he was never in Okinawa. His last assignment was Strategic Air Command. The old boy always told me that he did things that he couldn't talk about to me, and I guess that he did. I never told my mother what I'd discovered, and during my dad's years in the Air Force, she was staying in California near Edwards Air Force Base, where he was supposedly stationed right before Okinawa. Well, that's my story. I'll be 63 in June, and in all these years, I have never seen another UFO or strange light. My wife suggested that I might have dreamed all of it, but she has an open mind. I've only shared my story with my wife and a few close friends. I don't speak about it too much. People look funny at me when I do. I've thought about writing it down many times, and I wish I could provide more specific dates and times, but it was all so long ago, and I can no longer remember. I tried researching it, but I've never found anything on Pennsylvania UFOs. And I don't care. I know exactly what happened. Alright, I'm reading this story cold. It's not been edited. It's in good enough shape that I could just pull it up and read it. But I don't know what it's about. But I see the word Sasquatch or UFO and somewhere in the first paragraph. So let's just see what this, let's, let's let it surprise all of us. Depending on one's point of view, I'm either lucky or unlucky that I've never seen a Sasquatch or a UFO. It seems to me that there's far too much evidence, sightings, and encounters for the aforementioned not to exist, though I'm not a knower, but I'm a definite true believer, and I'm not afraid of being ridiculed because of it. So if you'd like to mention my name, go right ahead. Uh, I copied this and I didn't put your name in here, but... Uh, since you don't care either way, it's not a big deal. In any event, my story may be perceived as a bit silly. In 1967 and 68, I was a young ground radar maintenance repair technician stationed at Calumet Air Force Station, 40 miles north of Calumet, Michigan, in the heavily forested finger of the Upper Peninsula pointing northwest into Lake Superior. At the very tip of it lies a Civil War era fort maintained by the National Park Service called Fort Wilkins, and you can still take a tour there now. The internet didn't exist in those days, obviously, so there wasn't a lot to do with our off-time duty. Halfway between the radar station and the city of Calumet was a roadhouse called the White House on US-41, where guys from the base would go to have a few beers and listen to music. Some of the more talented guys formed a band and they played there some weekends. I remember them playing Hang On Sloopy and Sloopy Hang On. That's a cool song. I like that song. Another thing some of the luckier guys used to do was take a date to a nearby garbage dump to watch some of the local black bears forage through spoiled or leftover food that had been thrown away. We'd be sure to stay in our cars, though, because though the bears were habituated to humans and watching them, it just wasn't safe to get out of the cars. Like I said, not a lot to do for entertainment during that era. 
The local girls knew that we didn't have a lot of money to pay for round-trip gas and movie tickets and refreshments in the small city of Calumet, so they didn't mind being taken on cheap dates. Many of the young airmen couldn't afford to take a girl out at all, so oftentimes we would be in the day room watching the original series of Star Trek, which was on weekly. I had also recently, at the time, read the book that came out about the abduction by aliens of Betty and Barney Hill, who underwent hypnosis to further remember the experience they had of medical experiments done on them by the alien greys. Scary, terrible stuff to have happened to them, but I digress from my story. One evening, after a solo trip to the roadhouse to have a few beers and listen to the band, I was driving back to the radar site when I suddenly noticed weird colored lights skimming across the sky over my head on a moonless night. Strange glowing lights of green, lavender, and muted reds and yellows and other colors too hard to describe. I pulled over to the side of the road and got out of my car to get a better look and actually became scared bleepless, wondering if I was about to be abducted by aliens like what happened to the hills. I got back into my car and I hightailed it back to the base, hoping I wouldn't be scooped up by the UFO on the way. I arrived back at my barracks and I ran in after parking my car to tell the guys what had happened. Of course, my story was greeted by gales and howls of laughter, and that's how I learned for the first time about the Aurora Borealis or the Northern Lights. Needless to say, I was embarrassed and something I was kidded about for the rest of my tour there at the base. Though I haven't ever seen a Sasquatch or a UFO, that's my story, and I hope you were entertained by it. I'm no longer embarrassed by it. I was only 21 years old at the time. It was a thing of wonder to me, and it still is today. So thanks for reading my story. I will still follow the stories you post on the Dixie Cryptids YouTube channel. Thanks for the hours of entertaining stories you've been kind enough to share with us. Okay, well that wasn't, uh, you know, that was a good story. That's what this channel is. It's about telling stories. If you send something in that, you know, you didn't get attacked by a Bigfoot or abducted by aliens, I don't care if it's written well and it's a good story and it flows pretty good, I'll put it up. And that's what I did on this one now. To be honest, I had not read it before I did it, but I would have still put this up. But it was a good one, and I appreciate the gentleman sending it. It's uh, I've had tons. Of, you know, his experience may be the same experience as a million people who think they've seen UFOs and may be seeing something else, some natural phenomenon or occurrence that happens all the time that they're just seeing for the first time, and they don't know what it is. I didn't know you could see the northern lights from Michigan, but apparently you can. I do have a story about them. They did reach this far south one time. And it scared the daylights out of me. Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you. I had just moved to Mississippi. I think it was like 2013 or 14. And straight to the north, I always know where north and south is based on where I'm, where I'm standing on my property. But the northern sky turned red. Like it was, and it was at night. And it seems like there was a moon out. There was a lot of light out. I used to walk my dogs at night back here through the woods. I still do every once in a while. Anyway, uh, I was walking my dogs back here and I looked up and the whole sky from the horizon up maybe 20 or 30 degrees and then it faded back to blue was just bright red. It was just, it was unreal. I'm thinking, okay, I'm looking north. That's kind of Memphis is northwest of here. I was thinking maybe a nuclear bomb had gone off or something. It scared me to death. And so I, I, I went back. I lived in a little bitty trailer back then. And I, uh, and that's a story all of its own. But I ran back and I got my phone and I was trying to look up stuff on the Internet to see if there had been some nuclear device set off or the <clears throat> some other country had nuked us and they hadn't. And then a few days later, I read that some phenomenon had happened so that people at least this far south could see i didn't see the blue and green streaks like you see in the videos and in movies and things but the whole the whole horizon was red and that is a an effect of the aurora borealis i later learned so i've seen them once in my life and it was pretty cool okay i hope i didn't bore you with that 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, maybe give me a thumbs up or a subscribe and hit the bell icon and come back and watch another video. I would really appreciate that, but only if you enjoy it. I don't want you to do it just because I ask you to. I want you to do it because you like this stuff. On the end screen, you're going to see a thumbnail for a documentary I did about a year and a half ago. I know I always just tell stories and narrate stories and do audiobook style stuff, but I thought I'd let you know I have done one documentary and it's pretty damn good. It's one of the few videos I've ever done that I was extremely proud of. And so if you'd like to watch a pretty cool documentary, it's probably good to watch it on TV. Click on the video you're about to see or are seeing now pop up. All right, you guys have a good week and I'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks.